Support for WRFA is brought to you in part by the United Ways of Chautauqua County. United Way is a nonprofit organization that mobilizes the community to help every person and family improve their lives. Donations to the United Way stay 100% locally in our community and get invested in more than 40 community-based programs. These programs help students achieve academic success, families to be self-sufficient and financially stable, and vulnerable households to get their basic and emergency needs met. The United Ways of Chautauqua County, proud supporters of community radio in Jamestown, New York. To learn more, visit uascc.org or call 716-483-1561. Be Proud is a photographer and author of a book that shares the stories of members of the LGBTQ plus community. We spoke with her about that book and her upcoming appearance in Jamestown. On Friday, June 9th, the Jamestown Pride Festival will open with a talk by LGBTQ plus advocate Be Proud at St. Luke's Episcopal Church. Proud is a photographer, filmmaker, and author, and we welcome her as well as St. Luke's Special Projects Coordinator James Colby on our airwaves today. So hello to you both. Hello. Good to be here. Hi, Julia. So, Be first, can you tell us something more about your name, Be Proud? Yeah, that's the question that I get from everyone all the time or I get I get comments that oh that's so clever but really Barbara Proud is my name from birth it's on my birth certificate so um, as an LGBTQ artist and activist it seems only appropriate that I would sign my work be proud and you know additionally I just feel like it's a name that I have to live up to and I guess when it comes to when you say something to live up to, what, what is your connection with what you're doing uh, in your life that connects you to the queer community? Well, I am queer, so I'm a card-carrying member. Um, and I think it's, it's very important. Um, my work has ha- changed over the past decade or so um, from the kind of work I was doing to a more advocate role. Um, because I think that m- my community needs it, and and I think I'm in a position to stand up for the community in a slightly different way. Um, so not as um, a litigator or someone who is working for one of the major LGBTQ organizations, but to um, offer a different view of the community through art. And I think art is a, is a great um, means to, to education. Um, and so, and even if I wasn't a card carrying member, um, ally is a verb. So, um, you can't be an ally to the community if you're not doing something to help the community. Like James Colby, who is an A plus number one advocate. Mm-hmm. I, I want to thank you first for, for sharing that something that about about yourself so personal. Uh, you know, I realize that you know basically asking someone to come out uh, just straight off the bat in an interview is I mean that is that's a, a, a kind of a risky move because that's asking someone to share something very personal. So thank you for sharing that. So and since you brought up James, how how did you how did you and James meet? Oh well, that's. That's so great. Um, a colleague of mine, I teach at the University of the Arts in Philadelphia, and I've been there for t- more than 20 years now. Um, a former colleague of mine, and now still a friend, uh, Colette Copeland, said, you have to meet this guy, James Colby. 
and uh, the Society for Photographic Education was having their national conference in Philadelphia, so where I'm based, um, and we made plans to meet. So we met in the in the lobby or the restaurant at at the SPE convention, and we just started a conversation, and we talked, and we talked, and we talked, and we talked, and we had a great connection right from the very beginning. Um, so grateful to Colette for making that introduction. Um, and we began discussing how to, how to bring this project that I was working on um, to the public via an exhibition. And uh, that was 2010. Uh, we talked over the next two years about how to really make that uh, solid and sing. And uh, Jim was uh, amazing to work with. He really, like, he blew me away with, with what, I, what I had in the end as a, in terms of an exhibition. It was uh, just amazing. And James, can you share? Because I'm imagining, obviously, that your connection here, maybe this is part of why Bee's coming to Jamestown? Yeah, there's actually some more to that story. And it's uh, mm. kudos to Jamestown, New York residents. And um, sometimes we don't realize how we're in, interconnected both in our communities and to the world. And actually, Colette was having an exhibition here. It was called Live, Laugh, and Die. It, and it was a hilarious show. And I was down at Forte, the restaurant, and we were talking about SPE. And she hadn't mentioned um, Barbara Proud's name yet. And one of the things that came up in conversation, as I said, I was at a, an SPE conference the year before, and there are a group of individuals from larger cities that were talking about how difficult it was in small rural cities and communities for the LGBTQ community. And uh, I knew some of the colleagues, and I walked over to the bar and said, you know, a lot of what you're saying is true, but I'm from Jamestown, New York. And not only does Jamestown, New York support more than you would think gays and lesbians, but also at Jamestown Community College, not only do we accept and support, but we actually empower them with our, within our community. And I think the examples right now obviously would be Eddie Sunquist, who's our mayor and also um, Michael Hill at Chautauqua Institution and uh, Greg Rabb I couldn't not mention his name or um, Stephen Cobb who's the head of our mental health association we have enormous support and compassion in this community and um, again we're rural we're conservative but also there's a critical mass of people that help me work with diversity at the college for 35, 40 years. And do you have anything else you wanted to add about how you met, uh, met, met Barbara? Oh, yes I do. I, you know, it's funny that you bring that up. Um, at the conference that I met her, I had a friend of mine who also knew Barbara and she said, you know, um, I don't know that she's developed that portfolio very much. You need to be careful with organizing like a major exhibition. I don't think I ever told Barbara this. <laughs> and so walking in with her, the first time I saw her and looked at her, it was like I'd known her for a lifetime. There was just something that opened in my heart. And like she said, we had a conversation, we really hit it off. And I had total faith in her that she was going to carry this out and do an excellent job. 
little did I know <laughs> that what she would accomplish was well beyond my dreams. And I'm really pleased that I was there at that time. And again, that's about the interconnectedness that we mysteriously meet someone. They suggest we meet someone else. Okay. We meet them and then all of this manifests. We ended up collaborating with Chautauqua with a panel discussion and Bob Reeder, who was significant with PFLAG at Chautauqua was part of it. We actually had uh, Melissa came from the ACLU in New York and there was a panel discussion that went with the show. So just all these connections somehow flowed. People ask me how I put exhibitions together and I say, People just seem to float up around me, and all of a sudden, connections are made. That's really awesome. Something. Yeah, it's awesome. And I, I guess, you know, Barbara, it's like we've been talking about, you know, your work as a photographer, and this is how you and James got to know each mm -hmm. other. But you've, you've also, um, through being a photographer, have become an author. And what, what led you to create your, your first book? The book being First Comes Love. Yes, well, it was, it was a whole project, you know, right from the very beginning when I started this, um, I, I had a vision of what I wanted. Um, I knew that I wanted, um, I wanted this to be in the public sphere. Uh, I, I knew I wanted exhibitions, and I knew I wanted a book because, um, for a couple of reasons, it, uh, an exhibition is great, but people have to actually make the effort to go to a gallery to see it. And a book makes things um, more portable and more accessible to anyone, anywhere. Um, and I thought that, you know, when I started the project, um, I knew that I wanted portraits, and I knew that, well, there were a lot of things that led up to this project, but um, I knew that I wanted to show a side of this community that that wasn't typically uh, shown in the media. There were a lot of, of still hateful legislation against the community, and marriage equality had not yet been won, and things just tipped the scale for me that I wanted people to see that, hey, we are living already ostensibly as married for decades, just without the 1,148 rights that everyone else gets immediately. Um, so I wanted these portraits to be in black and white, strip away all the rainbow imagery and ask people to look at the heart and soul of the subjects and who they were as people. And I knew I wanted to do um, environmental portraits to show something else besides the couple, what their surroundings or things that were important to them. Um, and then I knew I wanted text. I wanted to tell their story so that people could go yet another level deeper into understanding the lives that we lead are quote unquote normal, uh, normal lives with the same problems uh, that everyone else faces. And not only the same problems, but in staying together as a unit, as a couple, as a family, um, just like everyone else. And so, you know, I, as James said, uh, you know, I had not developed this project very far when we met. I started in 2009, we met in 2010, and so our exhibition that we discussed was projected out to 2012. So I had time uh, to develop things, and I worked very hard um, to, to provide as much diversity as I possibly could, um, ethnic, geographic, 
uh, age, and this was this was about couples who had been together for a long time. So I was already in a in an older demographic from the beginning, um, and so I had time to put this all together. I didn't have the book complete when we had the exhibition, but it was it was in the works. It was my vision, and I I wanted to bring it to fruition. I knew exactly what I wanted it to look like. So I guess I was manifesting this all along. And I'm thinking with your your manifesting, then I, I and I'm I'm blanking on the year, and I apologize. I should know this. Uh, it came to be that you know same sex marriages were ruled that they could happen nationwide. Supreme Court ruled, and you're able then to, in your book to have a foreword by um, Edie Windsor. As, right. And I think about how important that is, you know, for anyone who who followed you know, the case law and, and what happened in, in the courts, how, how great it is to have that forward from her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, um, there were two Supreme Court decisions, one in 2013, which was um, Windsor versus the United States, and then the Obergefell decision in 2015. So um, 2013 was a really big year for me, and I was really trying to bring the, the project uh, kind of to a close and, and get this book out. Um, and as I looked through what I had, I really felt that I had a really important historical document that no one else had. Um, there were a lot of people that were writing books about how to win marriage equality, but what I was doing was about, about why we needed it and for whom. Um, and so within that process, I had a lot of very prominent people who were part of the marriage equality fight. I had both of the, both of the couples who were the plaintiffs in uh, the Proposition 8 case. I had Bishop Jean Robinson, the first openly uh, bishop in Christendom. Um, I had the first couple married in the United States. I had the first couple married in the state of Delaware, and, and Barbara Giddings and Kayla Hoosen, uh, gay pioneers on and on and on and so I thought oh my goodness like this is this is pretty something and you know the the capstone for me was was to have Edie Windsor and I knew once I could get Edie Windsor I was ready to to move forward with this book and I I tried and I tried and I tried to get her through oh everybody I could think of through I wrote to her lawyer um I wrote to people who there were people in the project who knew her and we tried to get her that way and there was always she's so busy after the court decision, she's going to go on vacation. There's just one turn down after another. And finally, I wrote to her directly. I, I tried to call her on the phone. The phone was, the message machine was constantly busy, <laughs> uh, full. And so I wrote to her and I, I included uh, samples of what I was doing and pictures of what I was doing and a, and a letter pleading with her to say, you know, please, Edie, this is so important. And if you're a part of it, it makes it like, absolutely critical that this is this is really something about the, the life and times that we're in right now. And and I sent it off and I waited months and didn't hear anything back. And so I thought, oh well, okay. And then it was my birthday um, in January of twenty fourteen and I was none too happy about uh, age creeping up and so I decided to go to a coffee shop and buy myself a very like elaborate latte and I was in the coffee shop my phone rang and it was a number I didn't recognize I almost didn't answer and when I did the voice on the other end said 
Barbara, this is Edie Windsor, and you're doing great work, and I want to be a part of it. And I'm, I'm getting chills just thinking about this right now. Uh, but my heart just started to pound, and I was so excited. We could barely hear each other, so we made a plan to, to talk again and set up a date. And it, uh, that was January. We had a date in March of 2014. Um, and I knew then that was like, this was great. And I had asked her if she would write the foreword for the book, and she actually she dictated it to me oh, wow. on film. So, and then we just... Um, you know, fix it up, whatever grammatical changes we needed to make. But um, it was really, really an honor and a privilege to to become her friend and to um, have her a part of this project. And she she really became a part of the project. She she wanted to do um, events with me. We did a we did a a book signing in Provincetown together. Um, we did some in New York together. We had a, a book launch at um, the LGBTQ Center there uh, in the village. So she she was all in once she was in. What, what an incredible birthday present that ended up being, too. Right? Yeah. I, mean, and I think I, I, <laughs> I had a smile on my face for months. Oh, yeah, for sure. And when you were talking, I had looked through the book earlier uh, before, you know, before today came and I saw the entry with the you know, Bishop Jean Robinson and, I, and it struck me out of all of them just because uh, the first Jamestown Pride uh, back in 2020, at least the ones for, you know, for recent history, um, couldn't happen because of the pandemic, but they still had what they were calling a Pride Mass at St. Luke's Episcopal Church here in town. And Jean Robinson gave the... Uh, uh, I, I come from Catholic upbringing, so I, he gave what I call the homily. So he gave the sermon, and what I thought we thought, oh, how great it is that we are st- still able to have someone speak. And so he was at the 2020 Jamestown Pride, and then you will be here on June 9th for the start of the 2023 Jamestown Pride. And I kind of want you to. I, obviously, we're talking about this this book you've written, and we, I know you have another book you're working on as well. But what what are you planning on speaking about when you come here on June 9th? Um. Well, that's a really good question. Um, I want to talk about both of the projects and and show that in both of these projects, there's a community that is thriving, that there are a lot of obstacles that we have to deal with, but we are still surviving and thriving as couples and families. And I'll be showing that in terms of black and white portraits of the LGBTQ community. And now the project I'm working on uh, since 2016 is, tr- is, is sort of a sequel. It's transcending love. So I'm doing the same thing with the transgender and gender non-conforming community again across the country. Um, and I want to show people that um, not only is this community beautiful, but, um, you know, it's, it's about visibility and it's about having conversations. And I'm trying to have a big conversation, but these conversations can happen on a very small scale. And anytime you have the opportunity to change someone's mind or even just crack the door open a little bit, it helps. And I think that the Jamestown community is, is going to be hugely receptive because they have been in the past. The, the exhibition in 2012 was amazing. And I, I received 
um, emails and letters from people who were at that uh, exhibition weeks later. And so I hope that, that this project can have, um, this talk can have uh, equally the same kind of impact um, and, and to bring the trans community in, which I don't know, you know, I find that there are a lot of people who just really don't understand the trans community because they've never been exposed. And I would, you know, based on what I see happening in news, what I see happening in legislation in other states, I, I would agree that this seems like there's a, a lot of misconceptions around, you know, what it means to be trans and, and people who are trans. And and I guess I, I maybe I, 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 I run the risk of editorializing my own comments, and I don't want to do that as a news person, but I think it really what you're doing here, it sounds like you're really trying to answer these questions with and with the second book being transcending love i think showing i think as i call it you know the representation you know the the that these are just folks just like everybody else mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. most people don't know that they've even met a trans person frankly i mean there's a there's an enormous part of our our society our community our world that thinks of a transgender person as a man in a dress it's a very stereotypical view, um, and you know they just really don't understand at all because they've never been exposed. And you know when I when I talk to people and, and I, I I'll have the conversations anywhere. I've had conversations about this project, um, you know, sitting at, in a restaurant at the bar having dinner with you know two guys that come in and sit down next to me and want to know what I'm doing in Kentucky, and I'll tell them that this is what I'm doing, and then they look at me like, what? (laughs) And I always have examples of my work with me, and when I show them, their heads tilt, and they're like, wait, what, what, what? (laughs) And when when I leave, they're, you know, I've opened something. Um, You know, I've I've changed someone's viewpoint, I've shown them something they've not seen before, and, you know, this project isn't about, um, it's not about biology or surgeries or anything like that. I refuse to talk about that. Um, this is about human beings and a community that, that needs to be able to, to live their, you know, full authentic life in the best form they possibly can. And that's going to take education, understanding, and acceptance. James. When it comes to St. Luke's Episcopal Church, and maybe this is putting you on the spot a little, um, maybe and it, maybe and it's wrongfully so. Maybe it's, a lot of people will say when they look at churches' role in the community and how a lot of religions have not accepted those in the LGBTQ community, and then and there and there have been churches that have opened their doors most. So when it comes to St. Luke's Episcopal Church, where do they where do you see their role in pride? And in, and, and in bringing people like Barbara in to speak? I, I think that's really quite simple. We're open to everyone and sharing the love of the community and bringing people together. So essentially what Barbara's trying to do to show, you know, forget all the differences and look at what's there in their heart and who they serve in the community. And again, I see so many individuals from the LGBT community right here in the Jamestown area who serve the greater good of our community. And in a way, that's what St. Luke's does. They wanna serve the greater group and bring people together in order to do that. 
And part of our mission is to empower everyone and bring them together in love. So there's, there's a huge amount of overlap that's there. But I, I'd also like to say that historically, the Episcopal Church has been very, very open. I mean, going way back, and I don't know the dates, but Margaret Mead, the famous anthropologist, had comments about how indigenous communities around the world that she visited were very open to the LGBTQ community. And she was chastised for those comments and actually rejected by the far right. Um, but again, the Episcopal Church has been part of this movement for a very long time. And again, Jamestown community has been open with a critical mass of people for a very long time. I can second that too because I grew up um, in a very small town. I say I'm from Philadelphia, but I grew up in Newcastle, Delaware, which is a tiny, tiny little colonial town on the Delaware River, um, dating back to the William Penn era. Um, and uh, I was uh, baptized and confirmed Episcopalian. Um, and my mother was uh, completely in love with her church and her community. And at one point, there was a, there were two men who were um, very much involved in the church who said, you know, they wanted to get married, and they asked uh, they asked the minister if he would marry them. And he said yes. But he first he wrote a letter to the entire community, telling them that um, he was going to do this was before marriage equality. So. Um, he said, this is why I'm going to do this, and, and wrote it to the whole entire community, and everyone was completely embracing of this couple and, and attended the service. So. That's an Kudos to the Episcopal Church. Yeah, that's an incredible story because it may be, I mean, maybe we, we, I think we see it as a, a normal thing now. I mean, hearing that, you know, same-sex couples are getting married, you know, whatever, and, and whatnot, that's a regular occurrence and you know even within my lifetime you know, I was born in the 70s having seen the trajectory of in having friends who were saying well we can't get married in this state so I have friends who went to Vermont and got married I, I had a, I, my cousins lived in Massachusetts and then they made it legal there before New York State did and I said oh are you gonna get married now like teasing them and they were just kind of laughed about it but then they did it's like it's and to think about how far things have come even just in the last 20 years but yet seeing how far we still have to go uh, well not only that but you know it, we are on the verge of losing all the ground that we gained mm -hmm. yes I think that that was something that was definitely expressed when uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned almost a year ago exactly right exactly and it, it was clear to me too I mean I don't want to get political here but um you know, when I finished my book, when I, when I published it myself in 2014, because nobody would take it, so um, all the mainstream publishers turned it down for assorted reasons, and, you know, I knew that I had to do it then because of the marriage equality decisions. I couldn't try to convince someone for the next three years to do it, so I did it myself. Um, and as soon as I was done, everybody wanted to be in volume two. When are you going to do volume two? We want to be a part of this. Um, but you know, to, publishing a book yourself is not only time-consuming, but you have to wear all of the hats. You have to be the marketer and the, you know, um, shipping and receiving, and you do everything. You have to call bookstores to ask if they'll take it because you're not on any of their lists. 
So it was a lot of work and very expensive. And so people wanted me to do another book, and I said, no way, you know, like I, I'm still doing this. But, you know, um, once the 2016 ele- election happened, the, there was a floodgates of bigotry opened, and I knew that. I don't know how, I didn't know how I would do it, but I knew that I had to do more, and I knew that what I had to focus on. In terms of, I mean, obviously, yeah, self-publishing, huge, huge workload. Uh, are there ways that, are you looking for people to contribute? Are you looking for people to come help you? I mean, how can people, if you say people say, well, you know, Barbara, I want to help make this load easier on you. Is there a way set up for that to happen? Sure. Well, the book is, um, I actually published 3,000 copies ambitiously, um, and I still have 500-ish left. So the book is still for sale. Um, it's best purchased directly from my website, which is firstcomslove.org. Um, it, it is available on Amazon, but you actually have to, to search the entire title and my name before it comes up. Um, so Amazon pushes it down a little bit. Uh, and on my, both of my websites, firstcomeslove.org and transcendinglove.org, there are ways to financially contribute uh, with a tax-deductible contribution. Um, to aid in in everything that I'm doing, to aid in uh, travel, to aid in supplies, to aid in you know bringing the next exhibitions to fruition, framing, and working on the the expenses towards the next book in terms of um, designers, writers, etc. Uh, so those are the ways. Um, there are other ways too in as James is doing, bringing me to your town to speak. I'm, I'm happy to do um, in-person and virtual uh, talks and lectures um, and, and exhibitions. Bring me to your local gallery for exhibitions. That's right, because as we know is that you, you are a visual uh, artist in, in more than one ways now. So whether it's on our coffee yeah. table or, in, or on a gallery wall. so. So I, I guess I'm looking for, is there anything, James, that I haven't touched on that you want to share? Well, I, I can't not mention that the Episcopal Diocese of Western New York and Northwestern uh, Pennsylvania are the sponsors of it. And when I wrote that grant, um, it was for outreach into the community. And I saw a need to outreach to the trans youth specifically and their families that are struggling right now to kind of find, navigate their way and and have support. So I've actually outreached into the community with those groups. We actually attended a convention in Fredonia for the Southern Tier for trans kids. And we're hoping to have a good turnout from that community. They are all welcome. And I think uh, Barbara's message will really be important for this community, particularly those families, although we're open to everyone. If you're interested in photography, her images are exceptional. If you're interested in the LGBTQ movement, it's exceptional. And also, you may just be interested in civil rights and how people work and sacrifice their life for a, for a good cause. Yeah, there are actually over 500 proposed uh, legislation around the country targeting the trans community. So, you know, from from uh, the adult trans community to trans kids, and we really need to to support uh, the trans and non-binary community in a huge way right now. Right. 
It's because I think I, one of the things I've read is that, you know, when it comes to support for for kids who may be, you know, wondering, you know, am, am, I, am I trans, you know, am I, who, who am I inside and how do I project that is that, you know, the lack of support can literally be deadly for, for kids. Exactly. Sadly. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you want to share, Barbara? Oh, wow. Is that um, a loaded question? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, uh, I'm still working on the, the trans project. Um, I, I've been to 24 states. I've photographed 70 couples. Um, I haven't said that I'm done yet, so I'm still trying to get... My, my goal before... Uh, before COVID was to get more of the red states represented in the book and then that sort of curtailed my, my travel abilities um, in, in many different ways. Um, but I'm still photographing. So with that said, um, people can you know follow me on Instagram at First Comes Love Project. Um, I'm still, you know, I, I always take names of people who want to be a part of the project. So with no promises, but I, I have a, an Excel spreadsheet that has um, 100 people on it. Some have already been photographed, and it continues to grow. So uh, you never know when I'll be where, and you know, someday it's like, okay, I'm coming to your town. Like, can I photograph you when I'm there? Um, I'm hoping to meet with some people while I'm out there in Jamestown um, who I've photographed before and who are introducing me to other people um, so that, you know, I just want to continue um, representing the beauty of this entire community. All right. Well, be proud. We'll be speaking at St. Luke's Episcopal Church at 6.30 p.m. Friday, June 9th. The program will take place in the Undercroft located at North Main and 4th Streets in downtown Jamestown. It is free and open to the public. So, Barbara and James, thanks for being on our program today. Thank you very much. Thanks so much.